Annenberg Media. This is the Annenberg Learner Podcast, where we aim to elevate the education profession through conversations that inspire, recognize, and encourage innovation and best practices in the field. We track the lived experience of teachers, students, and parents alongside the ecosystem that serves them. Guest speakers will share what's working and the steps we can take to reimagine and redesign teaching and learning for our most vulnerable populations. Welcome everyone. Um, my name is Nathie Rodriguez and you are joining the Annenberg Learner Podcast. And with me today is Elmer Roldan, Executive Director at Communities and Schools for Los Angeles. Elmer is responsible for overseeing implementation of CISLA's strategic direction and annual goals, collaborating with CIS National and CISLA Board to ensure CISLA's success, raising the annual operating budget, managing organization-wide budget, finances, and external relationships and partnerships. Mr. Rodan most recently served as Director of Civic Engagement in the Office of the Superintendent at LAUSD, where he developed and managed strategic partnerships for the superintendent, oversaw policy implementation, and communicated district priorities with LAUSD's diverse constituents, including elected civic business and community leaders. He brings experience from United Way of Greater Los Angeles, where he served as an education program officer before being promoted to director of education programs and policy. In these roles, he led strategies to increase high school graduation rates in LA County. His experience also includes Brothers Sons Self Coalition, where he worked to improve outcomes for boys and young men of color by advocating for positive alternatives to punitive school discipline and reducing criminalization in communities of color. Amino Nuevo Charter Academy, where he served as senior advisor to the CEO and Community Coalition, where he dedicated 12 years to the South LA community as a youth organizer, fundraising manager, and director of education programs. That is a long bio, Mr. Roldan. Thank you so much for joining. It's an honor to have you on this podcast. The honor is all mine, and please call me Elmer. Okay. And uh, Elmer is also the father of two and is a product of LAUSD. So we will definitely uh, touch upon that. And I'd love to hear a little bit more about your story. To start, there's been some uh, news across the nation around the recent recipient of $133 million donation from Mackenzie Scott. Can you talk a little bit about the impact that this will have at the national level and in LA specifically? Uh, once again, thank you for having me, Nati. It's a real pleasure. Uh, and to start with this story, obviously, this came as a huge blessing. This is like that golden ticket that every single uh, organization and institution across the nation wants to uh, receive. And we were just as shocked and surprised as everybody else to get this gift, but also very proud because it, it's a stamp of validation about the hard work that our team is leading. And just wanted to clarify that that collectively 41 organizations in the CIS network received 133 million. So that is 40 affiliates of which Communities and Schools of Los Angeles is one, plus the CIS national office. So that makes 41. I wish we had received all 133 million, uh, but we are very proud to have received 2.25 um, as our portion of that gift. 
has the organization either at the LA level or the national level talked about where how the funds will be used and deployed? Well, I can talk about the Los Angeles you know, plan to spend this money. Uh, it's going to have a huge impact um, in accelerating our strategic plan, um, but also deepen our current partnerships um, while expanding to serve more students and more schools and what we call historically proud communities. Really, our aim is to spend the money in four parts. One is we're going to save some for a rainy day because we know that times are unstable and the organization likes to uh, plan. And so we're, we're going to put some money in the reserves. The second portion of the money is going towards staff retention. As you know, the country has been undergoing a huge migration of staff who are you know, choosing different careers, choosing uh, to uh, step away from their current work and take a break or explore uh, jobs with uh, in a completely different field. And so for us, we want to make sure that we uh, demonstrate to our staff how much we appreciate and value them, but also recognize that the cost of living is going up so much. And so we've given our staff an immediate uh, bump in pay, and then we're also going to increase benefits, as well as other perks to uh, demonstrate how much we value them and put our money where our mouth is. The third part is very exciting, and that is that we're going to invest in the growth of our organization's impact. And so we want to serve more students by increasing the number of staff at each of the schools that we are at and grow to serve more schools as well. So we want to partner with more schools in LA Unified and then also invest in innovation because we know families need help outside of the school day. So our plan in the next uh, two to four years is to expand to serve students after school and during summer uh, months. And then last but not least, this is probably my favorite part of all of this, and that is that we will uh, launch a campaign to secure our own office space. Up to now, we have been receiving the generous donation of Creative Artists Agency, who until May of 2021 gave us free office space in Century City. But we want to have our own building uh, where we are able to secure permanency in the community, but also become more accessible to the families that we serve. So it's a pretty bold plan. And it's one that all of us are really excited and, and really energized to see uh, come to fruition in the this next chapter of the organization. That's great. I love to hear that taking care of the staff is a really high priority because that trickles down to all the people that, that are being served by the staff and really to preserve the talent that is already at the organization. I'd love to just take a step back and talk about CISLA's mission. The CISLA mission is to surround students with a community of support, empowering them to stay in school and achieve in life. I need to share a little bit about how the organization does this. What are some of the programs and initiatives that, that are part of the ISLA um, initiative? So at its core, the organization focuses on helping students stay connected to the schools. So the students that we serve often face uh, behavior issues, they face attendance issues, and they face academic issues. So those are indicators, the red flags that, you know, that go up that tell the the school staff that the student is in need of a caring adult who is going to support them on their journey through school. And so what our organization does is to implement what is known as integrated student supports. Other people know them as wraparound services. 
And really it's a proven model that assesses where the student is. We partner with the school leadership, with teachers, with the family of the student, whether it's their parents or their caretakers and the students themselves, because we wanna make sure that kids have agency in what they need in order for them to feel empowered. And then we come up with a plan uh, to help that student get the support that they need. And it's really in, in three stages. One is we provide individualized case management. The other one is we do targeted group programs that are identity-based, so gender-based, race-based. And this is a, a way for them to build community with their peers. And then last but not least, we do school-wide uh, services. Now that you know restrictions are, are um, uh, easing up, we're able to go back to doing whole school activities. And then we're excited about eventually uh, doing field trips again, as we did in the past. So this is a way for us to um, help the school achieve their annual goals, whether they be attendance goals, academic goals, or school culture goals. And so our job is to integrate ourselves in all the different layers of the school community and to help the students you know, attend a school that they feel truly welcomes them and validates their feelings, but also values them as uh, members of the school community. As part of its mission to advance excellent teaching in American schools, Annenberg Learner funds and distributes educational video programs with coordinated online and print materials for the professional development of K-12 teachers. Many programs are also intended for students in the classroom and viewers at home with videos that exemplify excellent teaching. K-12 educators, students, and lifelong learners may access Annenberg Learner resources for free at learner.org. Please note, rights restrictions may limit the availability of some series. For the latest information about learner programming and availability, sign up for the Annenberg Learner Newsletter at learner.org. How are students identified or families identified to be part of, of CISLA? Yeah, first and foremost, they're identified through the schools themselves. So as part of our partnership with the schools that we partner with, and right now we have 14 schools across LA Unified and five different communities. Our ratio is 50 students to each of our staff person that's uh, placed inside of the school. They work from eight to three every Monday through Friday. And we actually have a classroom where we're able to operate our programming out of. And so the way it works is we uh, work with the school administration and teachers um, who uh, they themselves recommend the students. They, they refer them to our program, and then we go through an intensive process of bringing them on board. Got it. What is the relationship with the parents or the families of the students? Well, it's pretty intense because, uh, you know, we can't be successful unless the parents are deeply involved in what's happening with their students. Uh, sometimes the parents are our strongest partners because they're able to give us a side of the story that we don't see when we interact with the students. But also, you know, parents feel validated when they work with us because often we, we act as the advocate for that parent who may not always get the best communication or most reliable information through the schools that we, we partner with or the school district. And so, you know, during the pandemic, this actually became a stronger partnership. We learned from the families that they often depended on, not, on us to be the conduit of information uh, and vice versa. The district also depended on us to tell them what was happening with students and families because that line of communication was broken, especially in the first few months of the pandemic. 
Yeah, um, actually, I'm glad you mentioned that. I'm curious, what has changed about your work because of the pandemic? What do you think will actually stay with, in the way that you run the organization? And I remember distinctly that on March 15th, 2020, schools shut down. And on March 12th, our team came together to come up with an action plan to support families through school closures. And remember when schools closed, they told people that it was gonna be two weeks uh, and then everybody was going to uh, go back to normal. Um, But we planned for the long haul. We actually knew that uh, or affected that the pandemic was going to last much longer. And so what we did is we transitioned our program to go virtual. So we got on the phones and then once everybody became familiar with Zoom, We got on Zoom and started uh, communicating with our students and our our families, first and foremost, to find out what was going on with them, how they were responding to what to the new world that we we were all being exposed to. And what we learned from families was that essentials uh, were needed. So things like food, household items, cleaning supplies, and then eventually technology, uh, hotspots. Um, And then money for rent and bills all became really important to families. And so we doubled down on doing direct service. Uh, The nonprofit sector, as you know, is the uh, safety net for many families uh, in Los Angeles, many students. And so like a lot of other uh, partner agencies, we became a leader of funding to families. So in total, we gave away $500,000 in food essential supplies, and money to help families pay for rent and utilities. We distributed nearly a thousand care packages. So on a weekly basis, we were doing a distribution of food and, uh, and other items to families. We were dropping it off at their door and total about 700 families received emergency funds from us in checks ranging from $250 to $1,000 to help families cover the cost of bills and, and rent. And if we weren't able to cover all of their expenses, then we were connecting them with other resources that became available to them at the time. So obviously, times have changed, especially as jobs have returned and schools have reopened. But some of that is still needed. I think you know, folks forget that as everybody is rushing to go back to normal, Mm-hmm. normal isn't isn't there yet for our families especially the ones who are a year or two behind on rent and who you know who who suffer tremendous losses because of families becoming ill their housing uh, being unstable or in the worst cases uh, suffering death it's incredible the work that you were able to do also just admired the ability to pivot and address the the needs that were happening at the moment and being nimble enough to do that what aspects of that will continue to be with the organization and how does that work as you as you scale yeah good question and i think what we learned first and foremost is that families want to be pulled in and that they they want to be directly involved in what happens in their own lives, but in their children's education. And so we pulled families in closer when a lot of agencies and uh, government uh, entities sort of left them feeling isolated. And so that is one thing that isn't going to change. We're actually making sure that the communication remains strong. And we are in this next chapter evolving our advocacy work because what we learned is that direct service is important, 
but that direct service is only one side of the picture that, you know, in order for us to have transformative uh, relationships with families, we have to be engaged in advocating for more resources and uh, a seat at the table for families and students to be able to contribute to how they want to be served by the school system. So uh, while you know, we went back into the schools and into the classroom, we're being very mindful about how we are monitoring the way that students are returning to school and what state of emotional or mental health they are doing. And then also not forgetting that uh, the pandemic is still alive and well for students that, you know, as again, people are rushing to get back to quote unquote normal. Normal doesn't look the same for the families that we serve. Got it. To your point about the supporting their mental health and helping with this transition, what support are students getting in that area? That's a big concern uh, for students as they are trying to catch up on learning, but fundamentally, if they're not really uh, mentally there, it's challenging to, to learn new things. So I'm wondering how does CIS LA address this in this transition period? Sure, sure. We are spending more time and being intentional about listening to students and observing students as they transition back in schools. You know, this this school year has been really chaotic. And for many, it's been them uh, learning to readapt to being back in schools. You know, what we learned is that uh, behavior and tension ran high in school. So at the high school level, you had students coming back the first week and responding to social media pressures to uh, participate in some type of challenge. So you had school uh, destruction happening where kids were, you know, ripping out the soap dispenser or throwing away all the paper towels. And then um, fights also jumped up a lot where you saw that student aggression was, you know, was really, you know, being observed on campuses. And really what it was is, you know, kids were bottled up for two, you know, for two years. And now, you know, as they were going out in the world, and rightfully so, a lot of that energy was coming out. And then in some cases, you saw that there were a lot of acts of PDA, public display of affection. And in some cases, you know, it became even more inappropriate behavior. And so you have to engage students around what is appropriate when you are out in the real world. And remembering that things may be funny when you see them in a video, but there's real consequences to those actions that you are uh, carrying out. And then you also had other situations that were kind of cute, but also very serious. And that is, you know, you had second graders who were returning to school they left in the middle of kindergarten when schools shut down. They, you know, they missed all of first grade. So when they came back as second graders, their mindset was still that of a kindergartner. So they didn't know where things were. And so our staff were having to redirect them and sort of help them catch up to be in, in the state of mind and the emotional state of a second grader. And we saw similar situations happening with eighth graders who had left schools in sixth grade and uh, 10th graders who were in similar boats. So you see there's, there's a delay in the emotional development of students. And so for our staff, it has taken them 
you know, doubling down on taking the time to listen and really practicing the, the patience. And then the last thing that I'll say about this is that with our staff, we have been very mindful about secondary trauma as our staff is supporting uh, students as they return back to schools, the level of tension, the level of trauma, the level of suffering that our communities have experienced over the last year is really pouring out. And so for our team, we want to make sure that they are able to process a lot of that, you know, pain that they, they hear and see every single day to make sure that they remain well and healthy so that they're able to support the students uh, on their journey to returning to a, you know, a better, more stable place. Yeah, that just reminds me of the experience for for teachers and anybody working with students directly. I can't imagine what has been like for the last two years. And it's great that your organization was supporting staff in that way. I heard you mention kind of a range of ages between like second grade and high school. What is the range of age that the organization serves and how long is a family with the organization? Yeah, so we serve families in elementary, middle schools, and high schools. And you know, our goal is to have full feeder patterns in the five communities that we serve. So we have 14 schools in Watts, South LA, Boyle Heights, Pico Union, and the West Side. And Watts is the only community that we have a full feeder pattern where we have three elementary schools, one middle school, and one high school. And so the goal is to have a relationship with the family and the students for as long as we can, because what we've seen is that if we are able to support the student in in their journey, the longer that our relationship lasts with them, the better outcomes we experience. So our goal is to spend as much time with the students. We are at our elementary schools, we're starting to serve students as young as second grade. Uh, And then obviously in middle school and high school, we serve all the grades in those schools. How are the schools, the organization partners with, how are those identified? I know you mentioned a couple of the areas that you're focused in, but if a new school were to be introduced as you're scaling, how is that determined? Sure. So the schools invite us to become their partners. You know, we have been uh, responding to those requests. Our goal is to fill up the full feeder pattern, as I mentioned to you, and to complete them because our goal is to make sure that we create bubbles around the communities that we are serving. So we are trying to be proactive about connecting with the schools and the communities that, that we are serving. I would love for us to be able to respond to every single school that comes to us and asks us to partner with them. And we certainly have been hearing more from schools that want CISLA in their schools One thing that we have to balance is that we do have a lot of our team members being new to the organization. Our growth can only go so far because our folks are still learning how to implement the model. Promise that we make to the schools is that if, you know, if and when we go into their campuses, we want to bring the best program possible to them. And the short answer is, you know, the schools reach out to us, we, you know, start the conversations and, you know, share with them what the costs are, as well as what our expectations are, and hear from them what it is that they're looking for. And if it's a good fit that launches the partnership between us, we're proud to say that we are now in talks with Belmont High School in the Pico Union, Westlake area, as well as Stevenson Middle School in Boyle Heights. And we will be starting partnerships with them with the, the upcoming school year. 
You can subscribe to the Annenberg Learner podcast on Apple or wherever you get your podcasts. Yes, how you describe the the model, I feel like every school should have this type of program for their students. I can imagine trying to balance scaling with making sure that you're bringing your your best foot forward in every single partnership. That must be a challenge. And just taking a step back to your own trajectory and how you got here, can you talk a little bit about uh, what led you to CISLA? What is your own story and how did you get into this work? I came to the organization and I can say that I am a product of organizations like Communities and Schools of Los Angeles. I myself was recruited to an organization when I was 13 years old. The organization is Community Coalition in South Los Angeles. They organize Black and Brown residents around quality of life issues. And from the get-go, the organization decided to invest in young Black and Brown leaders and to really work with uh, everyday youth and teach them that they uh, can be a conduit for positive change in South Los Angeles. I am an immigrant to this country, so my family brought me here when, when I was nine years old in 1989. I joined the organization in 1993. So as you can imagine, you know, I you know, had a lot of growth and a lot of learning, but I feel really fortunate that I found caring adults who not only invested in me by, you know, by dedicating lots of time and, and energy to keep me in a place that was safe and also invested in my own leadership to shape the way that I view the world and view the power that young people have in a driving positive social change. And not only in our communities, but really throughout the world. And so, you know, when I was at the superintendent's office, uh, before coming to communities and schools of Los Angeles, I started the conversation with them. And one of the the things that I engaged the board and, you know, before I joined was the need for us to do more advocacy. That while, you know, I, uh, I believe in the power of direct service, and I believe that families desperately need that direct support. If we truly want to impact more change, we need to include advocacy as part of the work that we do, because you can only help so many people. And if you want to move from having a transactional relationship with families, you have to engage them in in not only uh, having their own voice, having their own agency, but having a real seat at the table where they get to determine what resources come to their children and how those resources are spent to better the outcomes for those youth. Thank you for sharing about a little bit about your background. Um, you mentioned before that you are actually a product of LAUSD and that both of your children maybe went to uh, LAUSD schools. Can you talk about that experience, having been a student and a parent and then in your work there in the superintendent's office? Sure. So I am a product of LA Unified. I, I say that proudly. And I share with people that I experience the best that LAUSD has to offer and also the worst. So uh, being a Latino immigrant kid, who went to LAUSD schools in the 90s, my experience varied vastly depending on the adult that I was interacting with. And like many other boys of color in the 90s, we experienced these uh, really punitive zero tolerance policies that often uh, criminalized young students. And I would add that it also criminalized young women and young LGBTQ youth, particularly 
when it comes to dress code. So young women were targeted more than young men uh, for, you know, the type of shirt that they were wearing, or maybe, you know, so much emphasis was put on how tight their clothes were or the, you know, the, the length of their skirt. So more, more emphasis was placed on, on the way the student looked as opposed to what the student was learning once they were on the campus. And my mom, you know, she has uh, a third grade education herself. And although she always emphasized the power uh, of education and wanted us to go to college, there's only so much that she was able to do, not only because of time limitations, but also because of comprehension, not only with language, but also the material that I was learning. And so her engagement was vastly different than the type of engagement that I was able to have once my son attended. So my son and I are both products of the magnet program at LA Unified. I, for you know various reasons, had to navigate the system myself because you know that's that's what children of immigrants do. Is we we sort of learn how to you know interact with with agencies and especially schools. Whereas my son had to educated parents who went to, you know, to parent-teacher conferences, were able to pull him closer whenever we saw him drifting, and were able to go and advocate for him when we saw that the schools or a teacher or, or you know, something was going on that didn't sit right with us. And so we were able to pull him out of schools whenever we saw that quality of education he was getting wasn't as good, but knew enough to know when he was getting a high quality education versus not that made the, the uh, you know vast difference and that hasn't changed i would say till this day where the district is vast and there are many great options for families but there are also schools where you know children just aren't being challenged and aren't being given the right instruction they're not being given the right resources and you know and and unless families know that that is that you know that that is going on then a lot of families trust the system to do what's right for children and we know from our experience and advocacy that you have to push the system to do better by all families because the system doesn't just do that on its own there are a lot of forces within the school district that want to keep things status quo and want to tell you that everybody gets the same quality of education but we know that for various reasons, whether it's funding issues, staffing issues, uh, resource issues, every child doesn't get the same type of education. And so we have to fight harder to make sure that children are able to access the best of LAUSD and not um, have to suffer the consequences of, uh, of some of those challenges that I presented. The Wallace Annenberg Gen Space is an innovative center for older adults to pursue creativity, connection, and lifelong learning. For more information, visit genspace.la. If you could pick one thing that would have a significant impact on the district and the students being served that you work with, what, what would that be? If you could like wave a magic wand and have something change in students' lives or, or the school system, um, what would that look like? Investment in schools is the number one thing that could you know, drastically change the outcomes for students. It, in the 70s, California made a conscious choice to defund education. When we, prop, when we passed Proposition 13, we decided that we no longer wanted to invest in public education 
And, and, you know, the reason was no different than what we're experiencing today was that desegregation was forcing uh, school systems to open its doors to more black children and more Latino children. And when that happened, you know, we created suburbs and, and we, we experienced what is known as white flight. And mm -hmm. what those families did was they decided that they wanted to freeze property taxes because they didn't want to pay for the education of those black and brown children that were entering public schools. And 40 years later, 50 years later, we are still facing the same, you know, the backlash of us defunding education. So a lot of the fights that you see between uh, teachers unions and families and charters, at the end of the day, it really does come down to the, the amount of resources that we have to properly educate and support children. And so we, we have forced the, the, the schools to do more with less. And as the need has increased because poverty has increased, you see that schools have had to become more things to more families, whether it's providing nutrition, providing shelter, providing childcare, providing uh, medical care. I mean, the list goes on and on. And so we are asking schools to do more with less money. Um, and that is what, to me, would, would drastically change the narrative or the, you know, the, the fights that are going on. We see that happening, that we see a lot of opportunities today because this year alone, the system received an additional, I believe it was $6 billion for recovery efforts. So we're in a stage right now where for the next two or three years, we have more resources than we've had in decades. So there is an opportunity today for us to pause and truly determine what types of investments we want to make in children, but it shouldn't take a pandemic in order for yes. us to invest in, in public education. Yes. And the money will run out. The, the amount of money is just could be transformative, but again, it's going to run out. And I don't know that we've really put education at the forefront the way it should be for our country to continue to be innovating and producing great thinkers, creative people to have jobs that help them to thrive. Thank you for sharing a little bit about that. I'm just going to switch gears if that's okay. Um, yeah. I, I saw that you uh, participated in Annenberg Alchemy. And yes. for our listeners who are not familiar with this, it's a free capacity building and leadership development program designed to assist small mid to mid-sized nonprofit organizations and their leaders in the greater LA region. And this is through the Annenberg Foundation. Can you share a little bit about any capacity gains that Communities and Schools LA has made since your participation? Yeah. And, you know, what I will say is shout out to Christina our program manager at Annenberg, because I am a first time ED. So I became executive director of communities and schools in uh, Los Angeles in 2019. And it's my, my first time that I step into a leadership role. And, you know, it's no surprise or no secret that our organization was going through a transformation. We were going through a, a, a set of challenges, including, you know, funding challenges, as well as we were in need of investing more in our infrastructure and internal leadership, I found refuge in meeting with Christina and she recommended that I participate in uh, the alchemy program. And I got to say, it's one of the best things that has happened to me in my tenure. Um, and I really appreciated it because one, it, it teaches you the technical sides of leading an organization. It also 
made sure that our board chair was a part of the conversation because sometimes, uh, or not sometimes, boards are just as important to an organization's health and well-being and, and development as the leadership in the organization. And so participating with the board chair really helped us to analyze the health of our organization and also consider what changes needed to happen in order for us to adapt to the changes that we wanted to see happen in order for us to grow and move in the direction that we knew was uh, possible. And so participating in in Alchemy challenged us to be self-reflective, but also gave us tangible tools for what it was that we as an organization needed to do to improve the way that we evaluate our work, the way that our board is uh, functioning. And, And then it also helped us develop relationships with other local nonprofit leaders, as well as with uh, the Annenberg Foundation, which we we really appreciate all of uh, their investment in communities and schools of Los Angeles. Best Buy is committed to building brighter futures for teens through tech. With an extensive network of Best Buy teen tech centers, teens are provided safe after-school spaces where they can get hands-on experience with the latest technology in areas like programming, filmmaking, music production, and design. Best Buy has set a goal to support 100 teen tech center locations by 2025, expanding the program's reach to 30,000 teens each year. To find a Best Buy teen tech center near you, visit corporate.bestbuy.com slash social dash impact slash teen dash tech dash centers. You mentioned that it's your first time in an ED role. I'm sure it's probably one of the most challenging times to have taken on this role. I think you mentioned it was uh, right before the pandemic, 2019. Does that sound right? That's right. Yes. Um, November, November 18th of 2019 is when I became the ED. Yes. In, you know, a major city in the U.S. that was impacted by the pandemic. So it's been incredible to see the work that communities and schools in L.A. has done already in such a short period of time under your leadership. Um, Is there anything else that you would like to share about communities and schools or your own personal journey and, and also like what's next for the organization with our learner audience? Thank you. Well, I, you know, I, I really appreciate this space and I appreciate uh, you, Natty, and you, Miriam, for creating this space for uh, individuals like myself to come and tell our story. The work of our organization is very important and we want to welcome as many people into our universe to learn about communities and schools of Los Angeles to learn about our impact, but also to invest in our organization, because we know that the need is great. We know that, especially with the pandemic, there is a calling for for us to do more for students. Uh, We know that the, the catchphrase right now is we can't rush to get back to normal because normal was never okay for Black and Latino and Indigenous students. Uh, It was never okay for LGBTQ youth. It was never okay for English learners or foster youth uh, or homeless youth. I mean, the need is so great right now in Los Angeles, and we've seen disparities only get uh, deeper, right? Uh, The pandemic has been inclement for uh, low-income and middle-income families while we've seen the wealth of the 1% increase to, you know, astronomical rates. And so, you know, as we see the need deepen, you know, the only way that we are going to ensure students make it to the uh, the end zone is by us uh, partnering and making sure that we invest 
in the wellness of children. You know, one of the advantages of what's happened during the pandemic is it's caused everyone to pause to recognize that mental health and social emotional wellness are just as important to educating children as teaching. You know, oftentimes when people think about schools, they think about attendance, they think about behavior, and they think about grades, which makes perfect sense. But we seldom think about the wellness of students when they set foot in the schools. We often treat children like robots, and we expect them to set their emotions, their feelings, their mental health aside as they step into classrooms and into schools. Um, and we just can't keep operating like that. The truth is children um, require that adults be not only more patient, but also more understanding with their individual needs. And I think that the pandemic has shined the light and we need to make that a, a even bigger light. The brighter the light that we can shine on social emotional wellness, the more that we uh, will ensure that students are, are doing well. We are experiencing another leadership change at the district, we have a, a new superintendent who comes in with his own vision, his own plans for improving education. Um, this will be the eighth uh, superintendent that I've seen take the helm of the district in the time that I've been involved. Uh, by comparison, a district like Long Beach has only had two superintendents in the last 20 years or so. And so leadership change means a whole lot in a place like Los Angeles. So it's no surprise that education is so politicized. You know, we need more people to be involved and pay attention to education um, and understand the, the ins and outs of what moves schools in Los Angeles and to pay attention and be involved not only at the, the local level in their, their children's school, but at the school district level as well, because that's where the big decisions are made that impact um, what's happening on the ground. Great. Thank you. And if, if someone wants to get involved with communities and schools and support, where should they go? Yeah, they can visit our website at cislosangeles.org. They can get a hold of us there. They can also email me, eroldan at cislosangeles.org. And we welcome anyone and all who want to uh, join our movement to ensure that students are well and becoming well-rounded adults, because we need all the help that we can get to improve this world. Yes. Yes. Thank you, Elmer. I really appreciate you taking the time to meet with us today. And, and thank you for sharing about the organization and your work and your own leadership. And we look forward to tracking your progress and continuing to follow CISLA. Yeah, the pleasure is all mine. Thank you. Thank you. The Annenberg Learner Podcast joins the catalog of multimedia professional learning content to support educators teaching in more effective ways. Annenberg Learner is the education division of the Annenberg Foundation. Learner supports the foundation's mission to encourage the development of more effective ways to share ideas and knowledge. Go to learner.org and annenberg.org to learn more. You can subscribe to the Annenberg Learner Podcast on Apple or wherever you listen to your podcasts.